The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, fill up the tank with cheap gas and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 391 with guest Bill Wagner, recorded live Tuesday, October 21st, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who just flew 6,000 miles for an in-and-out double-double, animal style, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Hey, we're at Dev Connections in Vegas, and uh, you know, halfway through our whirlwind tour. Oh man, what a great couple of weeks, though, huh? Yeah. So now you came here uh, early from Tech Admia. Yeah, I, I left Barcelona. Me. I came home just to visit my kids. You That's know, a good idea. Do some laundry. Yeah, and then yeah, flew down here yesterday. It's just been it's nonstop. I'm re- I'm having a good time, but yeah. it's hard work. Yesterday I flew uh, from Barcelona to Las Vegas in one shot. Well, not one shot, of course. I had to stop in Atlanta, but it was an eight-hour trip from Barcelona to Atlanta, which I slept through, nice. which was the way to travel, let me tell you. Melatonin is a wonderful thing. And and what time did you leave Barcelona? Was it late at night? No, it was uh, 10 in the morning. 10 in the morning. So you partied all night, I presume? Uh, of course. Yeah. yeah, because why, Why you know, I'm going to sleep on the plane. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I was coherent enough to make it to my flight. And that's all you have all to I do. Needed. And then fall over. I fell asleep on the flight, and so then uh, woke up in Atlanta, like, I don't know, 3 o'clock or something like that is when we landed, and, uh, well, the travel details aren't important, but but uh, here's the thing, since I didn't need on the plane coming over, right? and uh, the 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 second plane ride was like, I don't know, four and a half hours, and I, was, I didn't want to buy, like, cookies and junk. Yeah. So as soon as I landed, I got in the cab, I said, we're going in and out Burger. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> Directly to In-N-Out Burger because you know this is a wonderful thing. If you've never been, uh, if you've never been to Los Angeles or California or Arizona, where they have In-N-Out Burger, it is the best fast food hamburger ever, ever. Period. Nothing. Period. Give me a double double animal style. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It's mostly about the ordering, isn't it? It is. So anyway, 
So uh, we don't really have a better no framework or nope. or any uh, email, but, but we do want to talk about where we're going next, which is Dev Teach. We're dev- going to or Dev in Sweden after this, right? And after that is Dev Teach in Montreal. Yes, indeed. JR runs that great show. It's in Montreal again this year. There's uh, still time to sign up. There is still time to sign up. It's at devteach.com. You're going to be there. I think they're giving away a boatload of software Tons for attendees. Of, yeah, if you, for anybody who signs up, it's like $1,000 like worth, worth of software. Yeah, more than the admission, basically. Software programming tools. So, All kinds of good stuff. So if you want to have a good time and get a good value in software development tools, and then, you know, talk to people, see people speak like, well, Richard and I are doing a show. This is the big thing about DevTeach. It's a small show. It's a few hundred people. Right. We all eat lunch together. Yeah. So, you know, Ted Neward, you go see him at TechEd. Yeah. Well, you're one of 10,000 people competing for the guy's time. You right. go to DevTeach, you'll have lunch with him. That's right. You can sit at his table. Yeah. yeah. Sit and talk to the guy. Forte is going to be there. Huckabee's yep. going to be there. Beth Massey's talking. Is Huckabee going to be there? You looked at me crosswise. Yeah, I'm not sure if Huck's going to be there or not, but I know Beth's going to be there. Uh, um, Ted, of course. Yeah, Ted's there. Uh, Amanda Locker's going to be Locker. there. Orin Eni's there. All right, yeah. yeah. Right? And yet Steve Forte. I mean, there's a lot of top speaking talent at this tiny little show, and the reason is it's just so much fun to do. It's so much fun, and Montreal is a great place. So devteach.com, sign up, let them know you heard from us on .NET Rocks, and uh, it's the best deal in conferences to be had. Do you know that uh, listeners are flocking to Dubai? Really? Because of Infusion's offer to... To, to go yeah. work in Dubai? Yeah. Dubai is like the place to be right I've now. I've heard rumor there might be a tech head in Dubai in a few years. <sighs> Wouldn't you love to do that? Oh, yeah. That would be a scream. I still want to do the in, indoor snow... What is it? Skiing. Downhill yeah, skiing, skiing indoors. That's crazy. They are crazy. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> the problem is if I go to Dubai, I won't want to leave. Uh, I've been to Dubai. Yeah. You'll want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that vote of confidence. But if you're interested in working in Dubai for Infusion or uh, doing the New York tour, which we've talked about on .NET Rocks before, just send me an email, carl at franklins.net, and we'll hook you up with the right people. And we are still getting lots of email uh, for the show as well. Always can send us an email at .NET Rocks at franklins.net. Right. We just happened to be on the road, and there, we didn't really have a chance to look over any email before we did this yeah. intro. We got a good big stack of them, so when we get back into the studio to do regular recording, we'll be reading a bunch of email. All right, so here's the interview that we did a couple of weeks ago uh, on the Unity product. Our guest today is David Hayden. He's an independent consultant in Sarasota, Florida, offering consulting, mentoring, and development services on architecture and best practices in .NET. David is a Microsoft MVP in C Sharp, a speaker, an MSDN forum moderator, the enterprise library community leader, and advisor to Microsoft Patterns and Practices. He spends much of his time helping companies and development teams leverage the proven practices and productivity benefits of enterprise library and software factories. In addition to his personal blogs at davidhayden.com and codebetter.com, David also runs pnpguidance.net, which offers numerous articles, screencasts, sample downloads, and other resources Covering best practices in .NET. Welcome back, David. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Good to have you. Gee, the last time you were on was about a year ago, wasn't it? It was. It's over a year, I think. It was show 262, which is disturbing because this is 393. I don't know what that means. Oh, <laughs> it means we're, we've been doing a lot of shows. <laughs> 
But we talked about Enterprise Library then, and, and things have sort of moved on uh, from the old version. It's, what's the current version? 4.4.1? Yeah, the uh, current version is Enterprise Library 4.0, and they're about to actually release a uh, 4.1 anytime now. So the Enterprise Library started as a series of uh, patterns and practices sample uh, reference uh, samples, I guess you would call them projects, and then uh, you sort of put them all together into a single uh, library, but, they, but they're separate, uh, s- completely separate, um, what am I trying to say, features to it. Well, right? yeah, they're, they're application blocks. Yeah. And so now, uh, now you you have a new version of the enterprise library coming out, and and tell us about that. Well, I mean, enterprise library four point and four point one is going to be coming out. I mean, basically, the uh, the the big deal enterprise library is now uh, it ships uh, with the Unity application block, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, you can you can download Unity, which is um, Microsoft Patterns and Practices. Uh, uh, dependency injection container. You can download that separately, or you can download it as a part of Enterprise Library 4.0. And for those of um, uh, the listeners who have been kind of following Enterprise Library over the years, um, Object Builder has been the mechanism uh, by which Enterprise Library kind of builds up its application blocks um, for use in your applications. And now with uh, 4.0, you actually have a, an alternative to using Object Builder, which is the, the Unity application block. So now you can uh, use Unity uh, in your applications and use that to wire up the various logging application block, data access block, et cetera, for use uh, in your applications. So Unity, then, is an IOC container? Is that what it is, an inversion of control container? It is. In fact, I just listened to James Kovacs. He yes. uh, was just on your show talking about the various frameworks, and he mentioned uh, several of them. He mentioned, uh, you know, Castle Windsor, uh, Spring.net, uh, Structure Map. Um, there's a couple other ones that I've been using recently, which are Autofact and, and Inject. And all of these are basically dependency injection frameworks. And Unity is Microsoft Patterns and Practices um, kind of an alternative um, to those others. And, and what's nice about uh, Unity is, is it, not so much that it's better than I think than, than the other containers out there, but, you know, that the fact that it um, is a part of Enterprise Library, which is, um, which is interesting, as well as it's kind of a, a transition for a lot of uh, clients who have been using Object Builder to either configure their applications or they've been writing dependency injection containers on uh, on top of it now they kind of have a way to you know get away in, in, in my idea of getting away from object builder and actually using a a, a, a an actual container that's um, mm-hmm. built by patterns and practices and supported by the community and if you want to by the way see James Kovacs DNR TV appearance he actually rolled his own IOC container from scratch, but he started by showing the problem, like why do we need inversion of control? And along the way, we learned about dependency injection and all of those other things. So if you're new to that and you want to check it out, it's at shrinkster.com slash 12IK. So there you go. Good luck with that. So tell us about a little more about Unity. Well, Unity kind of... Uh... I guess I want to say in the beginning, it kind of sounds like I'm saying in the beginning, you know, day eight, you know, Object Builder was created. But that's, but that's kind of how this all started. I mean, um, for a while, um, Object Builder was this, um, 
a, a framework that was put out by Patterns and Practices to help uh, various clients to um, do software configuration um, you know, for their applications. And, and a lot of them also built these dependency injection uh, containers on top of Object Builder. And so that was, uh, you know, that has been happening for a while. And uh, what happened was is the CodePlex team, uh, and CodePlex is the open source community uh, run by Microsoft, the CodePlex team needed this dependency injection container uh, for CodePlex. And so they started looking at this uh, object builder that, quite frankly, was starting to get dust on it. And one, it was going to use that for um, the dependency injection needs for CodePlex, but what they decided to do was to build a new version of it, Object Builder 2.0. So the CodePlex team, uh, CodePlex team took over Object Builder, started making it more opinionated, um, removed a lot of the bloat from it, um, did a lot of refactoring, and now what you have is this really nice Object Builder you know, 2.0 engine. Um, that that we didn't have before. And Object and, Builder is a dependency injection framework like Unity, right? Well, no, it's actually a, a framework to to just to do ge- general software configuration. And what and, and so what a lot of people did was actually build their own custom container on top of Object Builder. In fact, in, in your in the show that we were just referencing with James, he was making reference to uh, with the Castle project how you have the microkernel and how you have Windsor. Right. Okay. So in, in this case, um, Object Builder 2.0 is in a sense like microkernel in Unity is like Windsor. So cuz when you actually download something download Unity, you're actually going to have uh, a couple of pieces there. You're going to have the Object Builder 2.0 engine and then you're going to have this lightweight Unity container that sits on top of it. Yeah. Okay. So so what was happening was the CodePlex team wanted to be able to was was essentially taking Object Builder, making it Object Builder 2.0, and then they were creating their own CodePlex container on top of Object Builder 2.0. And, and I don't and I don't know the actual what was going on here, but the, I think the patterns and practices team, the enterprise library team in general, was getting a lot of requests in terms of like a, a dependency injection application block or an alternative to Object Builder to use with enterprise library. And they kind of saw this opportunity to kind of take what the CodePlex team was doing and bring that into their group. And that's when Chris Tavares. Um, from the Patterns of Practices team started leading the development um, you know, on Object Builder 2.0 and Unity, and that's kind of how Unity you know, came apart. That's why, that's why we have it now. Okay. So well, how big of a, a jump are we talking here, really? I mean, you talk about them separately, Unity and, and, the, and the, uh, the Enterprise Framework. I don't have to use them together. Uh, but you you ship them together. Like, which one needs the other, or why would I use them apart? Well, I think, um, for example, you may have an application where you need dependency injection services. So you go over to CodePlex, download Unity, and then you can go ahead and use that just to provide uh, inversion of control contain, you know, type of services for your application. However, there are a lot of people who use Enterprise Library for the infrastructure of right. their applications. They're using the logging application block. They're using the data access block. So what, what, what Enterprise uh, does, Library does, it actually ships with these uh, Unity extensions that uh, um, it, that's basically help you 
uh, wire up the various components that are used in uh, enterprise library. So now you can um, use dependency injection of, say, your database class or your logger class. So they're completely separate, but you have the option enterprise library to use Unity if you want to. To, to wire up those various, um, you know, those infrastructure classes that it's, that it's so good at doing. So there is some things you've done specifically inside of the enterprise framework to make it work with Unity better, this, this whole Unity extensibility? It, it, it basically, with Unity in itself, uh, you can, it has the ability, you have the ability to create these extensions. Right to it, and these are and, and these aren't anything real special. I mean, you find these in, for example, like Structure Map has the concept of registries. Uh, Autofac has this concept of modules, and and what happens is 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 Unity has the um, the, the concept of, of of extensions in this case, and it's basically easier ways to wire up uh, objects that are you know, that, that are kind of bundled together. So when you download Enterprise Library 4.0, you're going to get a bunch of these extensions. One of them is called the Enterprise Library, I believe it's called Enterprise Library Core Extension. And what it does is it wires up all the configuration and instrumentation information into Unity. So when you add this extension, and it's literally one line of code, it, uh, you, the, the extension takes all the configuration information um, that has to do with the core basically the common library, and populates uh, Unity with that information. Then if you're using the data access block, you can then also add the data access block extension to Unity. And what that does is it reads all the data access block configuration information and then accordingly populates the data access um, components into Unity. So it makes it very, very easy to hook up the various enterprise application blocks into Unity. So then, for example, if you have a custom repository class or something, and it needs to have a, a, a database class injected into it, it's automatically done. You don't have to do any of that manual wiring. These extensions make hmm. it very, very easy to, that, to integrate enterprise library in with Unity. It's kind of one of the bonuses. If you're a big fan of enterprise library and you use it a lot, uh, a, g- a great way to uh, transition to dependency injection and to be able to wire up those various application blocks is to use Unity. So you touched on this a little bit before, but let's talk about the difference. What separates Unity from the other IOC container uh, kind of things besides its, uh, you know, how it snuggles up to the enterprise library. What are some of the really good features of it? Well, and here's an interesting thing because uh, James and I keep referencing his show because I just listened to it before we started talking. It was great, it, wasn't it? It, it was. An, it's an excellent show, and I wanted to kind of hit and kind of extend on some of the things he was saying with respect to Unity. One of the things that I found, and I think James was talking about this in his show, uh, is that you know a year ago. If you were to come and say, you know, Dave, which uh, dependency injection framework are you using and, and, and do you think it's the best and why, I would have, you know, hands down said Castle Windsor. I mean, that's the one I started with, and I, it, it's, a, it's a phenomenal um, dependency injection framework. However, over the past year, there are new frameworks that have, been, have come out, and the gaps be, in, in terms of functionality between these frameworks is really quite is small. And in fact, you know, uh, James, when he said that uh, uh, when he went to DevTeach and Jeremy Miller was up in front uh, doing a presentation and and pointed to Oren and said, Oren, you know, this is something that StructureMap does that Windsor doesn't do. And then in 30 minutes, Oren was actually completed the functionality. What this is kind of, the underlying principle or the thing to get there is that these uh, frameworks are so extensible 
I thought the real thing we were trying to hit here is that Oranini's a freak of nature. <laughs> he is a freak of nature. <laughs> Oran, we love you, that? man, but you, you just write code too fast. You scare us. You scare us all. Stop that. Well, you, exactly. But, but, the, but the key here is that these frameworks are so extensible. And, I mean, it's very easy in a lot of these just to be able to add functionality at will. And, and also with some of the new C-sharp language features, for example, like with extension methods, if, if, a, if an object doesn't have maybe the API that you want it, you could literally write an extension method to make it look like you want it. Right. And so, and so what, ha- what I have actually found is that, for the most part, dependency injection frameworks are really a commodity. I don't see, I don't see any real killer features that I used to in maybe in, in, in a framework. And, and what I'm kind of seeing is that, uh, the reason you might pick one over another is because maybe you uh, appreciate the fluent interface on one. Maybe you like the way it's more intuitive to add a, 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 a component to it. Or, or it uses maybe, in case of like Castle Windsor, it uses dynamic proxy for AOP, and you really know uh, dynamic proxy. So you're, you're using it because it's using some other tools or things like that that you're familiar with, and it makes it very easy for you to use. Or maybe, you know, you're a big, in this case, maybe monorail user, and, of course, you get a lot of the, uh, you know, the Windsor integration for free. And we kind of said the same thing with Enterprise Library. You're a big Enterprise Library user, so, of course, you're probably going to move towards Unity. And I think that's what has happened. It's either becoming a personal preference based on maybe the style of the interface, or it's because it's using some other tools or other services that you also are familiar with or you prefer, and that's why you pick one. I mean, I really think that's what it's become. At least that's what I'm. That's what I've told myself anyway, because I've used a lot of them, and I don't necessarily use all their edge cases. I mean, they all have strengths and weaknesses, but in general, I think it's it's, it's come a time here where you can kind of pick uh, the tool that you want, and you don't so much have to worry about one having a killer feature that you're going to miss in another one. Well, I think you've hit on that sort of key point here, which is that, uh, and well, James did this really well. When he did his DNR TV and basically created an IOC container on the fly, the core functionality of IOC is just not that big a deal. It is the decorators around it that you make the difference. And, you know, I guess Unity, for me, the most compelling thing is if you're working in an enterprise library, this is the quickest way to be implementing IOC. It is, and you also have all these people who have used Object Builder in the past before, you know, the, I guess the original Object Builder before now we have the Object Builder 2.0 in Unity, and they've done, and they've done a lot of customizations, and they've spent a lot of time and resources in learning Object Builder. Well, you still bring some of that knowledge with you. If you're wanting to extend Unity, you don't lose any of that knowledge. You can still bring that with you. So a lot of customers who, who have already used Object Builder, uh, and, and developed a lot of expertise with it, they're, of course, probably going to be moving to Unity as well because they can take a lot of those customizations and and apply them um, today with Unity. Cool. Well, let's get back into Enterprise Library 4, right? This came out in, what, May? And... uh... It, it came out here not not too long ago. Basically, uh, Unity and Enterprise Library uh, shipped at the same time. So this, uh, you know, we're we're used to uh, dicing apart the enterprise library in terms of application blocks, the caching application block, and the exception handling, logging, and all that stuff. Policy injection is this a new one? 
Well, this is a new one in Enterprise Library 3.0. 3.0. So, so this is one that's uh, been around for a while. But if you, and one of the, I know one of the things you're interested in is like, um, you know, aspect-oriented programming. So yeah. I, I think you'll appreciate this. I mean, one of the things that's happening here um, right now, uh, Chris is about ready to release uh, Unity version 1.2. And a lot of that core policy injection application block technology, that AOP type uh, um, uh, code is actually moving to Unity now. Interesting. So, so, so what's going to happen is now you can use aspect-oriented programming and create your own interceptors and things like that without actually using Enterprise Library in the policy injection application block. So what is that policy injection application? Well, the policy that... injection application block is this, is this core aspect-oriented programming type technology. Okay. And then what they've done is they've built some custom call handlers that work that help you specifically uh, use the various application blocks, uh, you know, as interceptors. So okay. so you can basically decorate your various classes um, with uh, validation call handlers, caching call handlers, and stuff, etc. And and so it provides um, this this interception mechanism by which you're able to take those cross-cutting concerns and just kind of add them as attributes and okay. stuff like that. So it's the whole AOP style development. So what's happening is that and so now this is moving into Unity. The core technology is moving to Unity, but then the call handlers that are very specific to the enterprise application, enterprise library application blocks are staying with enterprise library. Okay. So again, you've got this really nice situation where. If you want to just if you just want a dependency injection framework, just use Unity, and then you can create your own you know custom uh, call handlers, your own interception uh, code. But if you want to be able to you know uh, bring enterprise library into in with Unity, then you can you know bring the the enterprise library specific. Um, you know, code in there for 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 using the the application block. So I'm excited to th- about that. I just did a screencast and a and a and a couple of tutorials on PMP guidance, just showing you that because I'm really excited that this core technology of interception is moving is moving into Unity. I want to just take a minute to uh, bring you a message from our sponsor Telerik. Our friends at Telerik are working hard as usual to bring you exciting new stuff for your .NET toolbox. How about two brand new control suites, RAD controls for WPF and RAD controls for Silverlight. That's right. If you started building next generation applications, you now have UI components with Telerik quality and Telerik reliability. Both product lines are derived from the same code base and share the same API, so transition is seamless. Uh, They have many improvements in the other robust suites for ASP.NET, AJAX, and Windows Forms also, as well as the intuitive reporting tool. But product alone isn't everything. To jumpstart your projects and help you easily get up to speed with these great tools, Telerik has got a couple of unique training resources, the Telerik Interactive Trainer and Telerik TV, of course, which I'm the host of. Now, that's what I call summer heat. Go check out all the details at Telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com. And if you happen to run into those guys, say thanks for supporting .NET Rocks. So now we have Unity as a product, but there's also a Unity application block in Enterprise Library. Are they one and the same? They are the same. Okay, they are. They so, are so it's individually downloadable uh, and, and apl- applicable as well as part of the application block. Exactly. It's just how you want, how you want to download library. it. Okay. 
The, the only thing that you get that you get with enterprise library though is again those those enterprise library extensions. So if you want to be able to, you know, uh, have those extensions available so that the data access block and the logging block and et cetera, all those get uh, configured automatically with Unity. Um, you, you know, you're you're going to need that from the enterprise library. Okay. And um, there's some also in 4.0. There's some changes to uh, some of these application blocks, cryptography, data access, exception handling, logging. Any any real uh, things that we need to know about? I mean, not really. I think what what happened was, is, and I don't know if you remember this, but when Patterns and Practices team first uh, announced Enterprise Library 4.0. They just announced it as a as a basically a bug fix as a as a okay. major bug fix. They were going to go through all the various uh, application blocks. They 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 did their survey. They uh, they went and looked at the issues on Codeplex and they talked to their clients. And most people just wanted bug fixes. You know, they they wanted uh, bugs fixed in enterprise library. So so when the patterns and practices team initially announced it, they said, "Hey, this is just going to be about bug fixes." And then literally. One month before they shipped this, they all of a sudden snuck in Unity. It was kind of like, you know, because I, I think they weren't, they, they weren't, basically they weren't sure if they were going to be able to get it done in time. So, so, so there really isn't, I mean, there's, uh, you know, some nice integrations, uh, you know, better integration with WCF and some other technology. But for the most part, it's, it's a, it's a uh, big bug fix um, version and the and basically now the unity application block is an alternative configuration mechanism to object builder but but the exciting thing and and, and I don't think most people are kind of getting this the, the really exciting thing about introducing unity into enterprise libraries I think what's going to happen is I mean one of the big things that people always talk about is that enterprise feels a little heavy you know it feels a little bloated it feels more like a framework as opposed to a library of services. Right. And I think this is what Unity is bringing into the picture. I, I don't know that this is going to happen, but I'm kind of hoping that, you know, later on down the road, maybe with Enterprise Library 5.0, you know, Object Builder may go away as a, as a, as a configuration mechanism. And I think the, as, you're, you're, as, as the Enterprise Library team is pulling out some of these core technologies and moving them into Unity, I think people are going to be uh, much, uh, very, very happy about how uh, enterprise library in general is going to become this more, this more lightweight library of services. That, and I think a lot of those people who have been concerned about that in the past are probably going to start moving over and considering enterprise library over some of the other um, solutions that are out there. Because, you know, there are a lot of little solutions for validation over here, and there's a, a solution for logging over there, and there's, a, you know, et cetera. But there's nothing like, there's not too many products like Enterprise Library that give you this nice suite of, of, of products that kind of uh, work together, um, you know, and are very consistent uh, in their user interface. Is there an Enterprise Library 5.0 in the works? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, that's, that's basically Patterns and Practices flagship product is Enterprise Library. So once a year, they, they basically come out with a new version of Enterprise Library, and then somewhere maybe within mid-year, they may come out with a maintenance release. So I'm figuring probably, you know, around 2009, around the January, February, they'll be, they'll be talking about a new version of Enterprise Library and kind of doing the same thing they always do, doing the surveys, talking to clients, and, and seeing what else has to change with that. But, but the other big thing that, that's huge about um, 
about this unity that we, we really haven't talked about is its impact on the software factories. Um, mm. You know, the, a lot of the listeners who are familiar with the software factories are probably familiar with this. What has happened is, is the, so, the uh, products like the web client software factory, the smart client software factory, what they have done is they basically use Object Builder um, as their core engine, their, 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 their software configuration engine, and then they've built their own containers on top of it. And so, with, and so, I, I mean, I, I'm thinking to myself that, oh my gosh, we have a, uh, a custom container in the smart client software factory. We have a custom container in the web client software factory. And the teams, the, the, the teams that put this together in patterns and practices spent a great deal of time just creating a container, you know, let alone trying to provide functionality in the, in the different guidance packages itself. Now what's happened, and you can see this with Prism, is that the prison team didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to create a custom container. They used Unity. So now what you're getting is you're getting these, um, these software factories or these guidance packages, application blocks, whatever you want to call them, they're, be- they're, it- they're becoming more and more faster to build because the team doesn't have to sit there and waste time creating a container. And the other thing is because... Um, because they're using a particular container and it's more loosely coupled to what patterns and practices providing, it's very easy to take a software factory and now use the container of your choice with it. So if you don't want to use um, Unity with Prism, you could use Castle Windsor, you could use Ninject, Autofact, Structure Map, whatever you want. It's much easier to do that. And so I think that's also going to turn a lot more people onto the software factories because we have this looser coupling between the you know the applications and the guidance they're providing and the actual container that does the dependency injection of services. So so a lot of really exciting things happening here with with Unity that are kind of separate from just Unity being a dependency injection framework. I mean, you know, like I said, they're so extensible. You can do things with in the, some of the the language features that you couldn't do before. That, that, that make these things kind of uh, more of a commodity, in my opinion. And so now you can kind of pick and choose whatever you want. It's always a good thing when, when other Microsoft teams are consuming Microsoft code like Unity. And especially, uh, you know, code that Unity that can easily replace with something like a Castle Windsor or, or a Structure Map, if that's what you choose to use as your container. And so that's nice. I mean, even, with, even, the, even within them, even within the projects, though, even though they're using it, um, each, the, the different projects, they're becoming more loosely coupled with them. Right. And so kind of what James was saying, where you want the high, these highly cohesive, you know, loosely coupled applications, well, that's what you're getting by, by Microsoft Patterns of Practices kind of taking this unity and consuming it within its own factories and enterprise library, this is actually a win for anybody who wants to use any dependency you know, injection container of their choice. So this is a big deal. Which is it's getting, the, getting the internal part of Microsoft thinking about making IOC an easier thing to use with everything exactly. they're doing. Kind of with like with the ASP, you know, the ASP.NET MVC framework, which was right. just recently announced as in beta. I mean, now you can create your own custom controller factories that use the dependency injection container of your choice to, to kind of resolve and, and create these controllers. And so, you know, and of course, if you look at the MVC contrib project, you've got solutions there for Unity, for Windsor, for Structure Map. And so that's a beautiful thing because it gives people a lot of choices. I noticed uh, in the Enterprise uh, Library 4.0 that they pulled the application block software factory out of Enterprise Library and it's now standing on its own. 
Well, it's interesting you should bring that up because, um, you know, the, the application block software factories is kind of one of those, uh, I guess I want to say visualizers, one of these tools that has made something, you know, easier to use, um, which really kind of uh, didn't solve the core problem. The problem I, with enterprise libraries has been very, very, very difficult to create new application blocks and providers. Okay, and I think one of the big reasons for that has been the use of Object Builder as a software configuration mechanism. Right. Okay, so, so, uh, so what they did was is they built this application block software factory to make it a little bit easier to build you know, application blocks and providers. The problem was this isn't really solving the problem. This is just kind of putting a nice little visual designer on top of something. And still, you can see that there weren't a lot of application blocks or providers really built or at least shared in the community that use this. So I think this is kind of the answer. They, they, I think they... In, this may not be the whole answer, but the idea here is to pull application block software factory out of it because it really didn't solve the problem. Now you're going to have Unity in there, and hopefully, like, like I was saying, maybe we might transition away from um, the uh, object builder in Enterprise Library 5.0, and now it's much more easier to create various you know, implementations of, uh, of different providers and application blocks because basically what you're doing then is you're kind of, you know, you're, you're creating abstractions. And so, and you're just coding against those abstractions, and Object Builder doesn't get in the way. So this right. is kind of the excitement. I think it kind of falls in that picture. One of the reasons why abs- the application block software factory is getting out of there is I'm hoping is because they're going to get le- use Object Builder less and less as a as a as a configuration vehicle for enterprise library. Again, that's kind of what I'm hoping. You know, I'm 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 not the, their spokesperson, so we can only yeah. hope. But is that really implying that, that essentially the, the application block software factory is going away? There's going to be a better way to go about this? I think Unity is the better way. I think, right. I think doing your software configuration in the container, that's what the dependency injection framework is for. It's basically a big configuration tool. You essentially register types with it, and you register all their dependencies, and the dependency injection uh, framework itself does the, you know, uh, looks at all the various dependencies, decides which constructor to use, and then creates the object and hands it off to you. So, so essentially that's what Unity does or that's what Windsor does. And so I think we can get away from Object Builder and Enterprise Library, and we can also get away from the application block software factory. Now, are we really talking about our customers ultimately building other application blocks here, or is this just other parts of Microsoft, like the Prism team, sort of working together on these things? No, we're, we're, I think the, the idea here was that, um, that, that the Patterns and Practices team had in mind is that people would develop application blocks and providers that they would share in the enterprise library contrib community. If you look at the various Patterns and Practices projects, there's always a contrib project associated with right. it. And so they're, they're hoping and they're expecting developers in the community to you know, uh, enhance or, you know, in this case with enterprise library, add new providers or add new application blocks. And the fact is it really never took off. I mean, it right. really, I mean there are some. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some. There, if you go into the enterprise library contrib community, for example, you'll see a lot of database providers, for example, for, you know, um, MySQL and SQLite and all those kinds of things. But it really never, apart from the database side of it, it really never did take off. And I think... You know, uh, again, it, it was just a little bit too difficult. And what I'm, I'm hoping, like I said, what I'm hoping is going to happen here is that Unity will make this um, a lot easier. 
uh, because I, I'll tell you, you know, Enterprise Library is, is a is is a really nice library. I think it's just it's been a, it's been more of a, fa- a framework as opposed to a library. And I think by the introduction of Unity, uh, making it a, a little bit less bloated, uh, allow, allowing people to use the dependency injection container of their choice. And, and, and also be able to more easily create application blocks and providers, I'm, I'm really thinking this is going to, you know, take off in, the, you know, in terms of, in terms of being able to create new application blocks and, and things like that in, in, in the next year. And I could almost buy into developing application blocks like this. I think internally, like uh, within an organization, we might build a few blocks that are specific for our business so that uh, I have several teams building apps right now and they they have, you know, standardized ways of doing certain things. I just, uh, I wonder about trying to actually build a community around this. Generally, public blocks built by third parties is, is likely. Well, you know, I, you you might be right because we ha- haven't really seen anybody. But if you think about it, enterprise library started off with just a few blocks. Like, for example, the validation application block. That is a great block in enterprise library. Okay, yeah. that didn't come out till just uh, enterprise library 3.0. But you know, people needed to validate their business objects before enterprise library 3.0, right? Well, and, so, the, and the proof. There's so many different validation uh, libraries out there. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, why somebody didn't, uh, including myself, why didn't somebody kind of, you know, pick up and say, geez, you know, we could have built a, a, a validation, um, you know, block uh, and, and built that, a custom one, and then contributed that to the community. That was, you know, that was uh, definitely a possibility. So, uh, but I, again, I think it wasn't that people didn't have the need and, and people did, would, didn't want to do that. I think it more or less turned out that it was a little bit more difficult to do, even with the application block software factory. As much as I like that and I and I did use it to build other application blocks. It still just wasn't easy. There was a a big learning curve to, to learning how to create you know application blocks and providers because there was a lot of object builder stuff in there um, that you needed to know. And object builder itself is just not an easy framework to use and understand. Did uh, I, I know you got or Grigori at least the, the the project manager for Enterprise Library ran set up a, a Unity extension. Or extensibility workshop. Have you ever, is there even something like that for application blocks in general? I'm just thinking about bringing more people together to, to help understand what it takes to build these things. Yeah, you know, I don't know of, of one. You know, they do have their webcasts that they run, you know, but right. that's not the same what you're talking about, not to this same extent where you literally, you know, have everybody come up to Redmond and you spend a day. Um, you know, uh, learning how to create an application block. You know, maybe just maybe the need just wasn't there. You know, I'm sure it was a combination thing. I can't sit here and say, well, I blame it on because it was just too difficult or you know things like that. Maybe you, you're right. Maybe maybe a lot of people have, but they've been more internal application blocks. I know I have created um, specific application blocks for clients that was you know just specifically for them. Well, um, and it's an interesting approach as a consultant to build app blocks for your customer for them to use just as a way of passing on that information in a relatively palatable way. Mm-hmm. Well, the beautiful thing about the, you know, about enterprise library is the configuration mechanism. So it comes with this really nice visual configuration tool. So the thing here is that a lot of the clients, they want to be able to not have their developers sitting here a lot of times doing the configuration, but maybe, you know, having somebody uh, who's not so technical doing the configuration. So when you're doing uh, with the with um, uh, enterprise library, you have um, either a standalone configuration editor that you can custom 
customize quite a bit um, for your needs, as well as you have that nice graphical configuration editor inside Visual Studio. So that really makes it really nice to to separate, you know, get people out of the the low-level goo, I guess I want to say, and get them into just getting, you know, understanding the high-level concepts and, and how to use the, uh, you know, the configuration editor. So that's a, a really attractive, you know, thing. So that's why the application block is a really nice mechanism, um, you know, for delivering functionality in the, in, in the applications because you get that nice configuration editor. So, Absolutely. So I got a question from Rocky who uh, I was just IMing with while you were explaining that. And I asked him if he had a question for you. He says, yeah, are IOC and DI just the latest fad in patterns? It seems like every few years there's the one pattern to rule them all, <laughs> and this is the year of DI. He also qualifies it by saying he uh, really likes the pattern just fine is one of many possible solutions. <laughs> I think he's just being tr- causing trouble. Well, you know, I think he's right, though. I think he's right because, um, you know, I, I mean, again, I'm kind of, a, I picked up uh, dependency injection and, and version of control a few years ago, and it's really been the folks in CodeBetter, like Jeremy Miller, uh, Scott Bellware, those folks who really kind of opened my eye because I was using the de- design patterns. I was using, like, the various factory methods and service locators and things like mm-hmm. that, but mm-hmm. I hadn't actually gotten on board with uh, inversion of control. Um, and, you know, when I started using it, I had that aha moment where I thought, wow, this thing is the greatest, you know, <laughs> you know, it's the greatest thing on earth kind of a thing. But now I'm kind of at the point where it's like, it, it, it seems like everybody does talk about it. I mean, every time, and, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm equally to blame because if you go over to my PMP guidance or something like that, I mean, I think I have like 10 screencasts on Unity and about every, uh, lately, a lot of the tutorials I'm doing are on the new version of Unity that's coming out. So I'm, I'm also to blame by this, but it, it, it really does seem like that, that everybody is talking about dependency injection and inversion of control and... Um, it's almost deafening. It, it's so much, you know. It's uh, it's become a big mm. deal. So, but but I think it's but I think in a, in a good way, it's it's raising some interest because there's a huge uh, part of the developer community that just doesn't know anything about this. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, so it might seem like that because it is on on some of the major um, big blog engines. Um, all you hear about, like every third or fourth post seems like it's about dependency injection or inversion of control. And it could be about any of these frameworks that we've talked about. But it's really about testability, isn't it? I mean, it's really about swapping out mocks and and swapping out different different objects in your constructors so that you can test against different objects, isn't it? I mean, isn't that what really makes it easy to do? Well, not not necessarily. It's really about um, looser coupling. It's about loosely coupling, uh, coupling your components so that, you know, you're, 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 you're dependent on abstractions and you're not dependent on, um, you know, actual concrete. Um, right, but uh, that makes it really useful for testing. Well, it does. Well, it sure. does make it useful for testing, but you don't have to get the all the value and benefit of inversion of control and dependency injection. You don't have to do any testing. Yeah, sure. I mean, you don't ha- you don't have to do that. I mean, it what it really you know, but it but it does aid in that because now your components aren't going out and getting their dependencies. Instead, the the uh, uh, a, a framework or in this case a container is actually providing it. Uh, its dependencies, which makes it a heck of a lot easier to test that component in isolation. And specifically the UI. I mean, that's the last place you want to be configuring up your database object layer and all of that, the data, database, data access layer. You know, you don't want to do that in the UI, but that's typically where developers would do it. Well, that's where I need the data. 
Well, that's usually the first place, you know, a, a request comes in, it usually comes into the UI. Right. So at that point, a lot of people, uh, you know, you have to start manually creating your object. So you're creating maybe the, your data access component, then maybe you're, you're you know, you're, you're creating a controller or a, or a service, and then you're kind of injecting the uh, data access component into the service, and you're kind of manually. So, so your right. UI is, ends up having to know everything about all the components yeah. Um, that are necessary to fill that re- request all the way through all the layers of your application. And what, what's nice about that is now you have this inversion of control container that kind of sits in inside the framework in the pipeline somewhere that injects um, the, the dependencies into the UI itself. Yeah, in reverse order. Yeah, in, in reverse. And in, in the, in the actual thing here that I, um, you know, w- when you're doing development, the the you should almost be the inversion of control and the dependency injection container. You should almost be doing nothing with it. I mean, you really don't see it. It's like it used like with the MVC framework. It's part of the controller factory. With the ASP.NET Web Forms, usually it's it's in an HTTP module, and you and you get a presenter injected into the web form. So you're not really doing any programming against um, the dependency injection framework. What's happening is is somewhere in your application start event. Um, you've essentially said, container, here are all the different services and their dependencies that this application is going to use. So the container basically gets filled up with everything it's going to need, and then somewhere during the pipeline in the request, um, the container is activating and then injecting um, kind of the either the presenter class or, 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 or creating the dependencies into your, the controller if you're using the MVC framework. So, so it's funny that everybody's talking about dependency and, and injection of control, but the thing is, is that hopefully somewhere in the pipeline, in your framework, or so, it's being done, and you're not programming against it. You don't see it. It's just kind of happening in the background, and, and dependencies are being injected, and you, know, you get this cascade effect, so everything's getting wired up, and, and it's a beautiful thing. I was uh, looking through the latest stuff on Unity because it's progressing as well. And, and this great line, uh, gener- uh, generic decorator chains, which is actually a descriptive solution to the problem of IOC on generics. But it's such a great name, <laughs> generic decorator chains. <laughs> Well, actually, you guys talked a little bit about that when you were talking to James, because James yeah. was basically talking about the decorator pattern right. and how when you're doing cross-cutting concerns like logging, caching, security, you know, whatever, how you're not – what you're doing is you're creating uh, – maybe you have your repository control, and you're wrapping that with a logging decorator, and then that's being wrapped, you know, with a, with a caching decorator, and that's being wrapped with a security decorator or something like that. And where these really come in handy, of course, is that, again, Again, you don't want your application to, to, to some code, some object in your application to have to understand how this chain gets created. You want the uh, inversion of control container to do that for you. Um, so that's a really, really valuable thing. And actually, in Unity version 1.2 um, is, is where they're going to have full support for that, um, you know, the, the generic decorator chain. It's awesome. So that's where you get that. If you don't want to use aspect-oriented programming and use interceptors, you, it, that's, you basically can use those decorators. So if we really separated IOC from Agile or TDD, is there the... Uh, if I'm a guy who's just building apps, you know, we, we were sort of hinting to this. We were headed towards this direction of, all right, everybody's talking about this, but are they actually doing it? Yeah, they are. And and for me, it feels like 
Isn't this just a great diagnostic methodology that I've got a chunk of code that I'm really struggling to understand how it works or why it's broken, that I can come along with these with DI and really A, understand it, and B, diagnose it and repair it? Uh, you know, you know, DI to me is just a configuration mechanism, and that's right. basically how I'm going to put it, you know, because what you're basically doing is, you know, adding all of your components and their dependencies in a container, and, and you're having the, this, 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 this container go ahead and create these objects for you as opposed to having maybe the first, uh, your UI, the first thing to hit a request to actually create up your repositories and your services and all your helper methods and all that stuff. I mean, it basically makes the application a lot more loosely coupled. And the other thing right. that, I, that I picked up on, your, on, the, on, the last, um, on the last show is that you were, you were wondering if this was actually making the code harder to read. And I have to say that it, it just does just the opposite. Because, you know, what it does is it starts allowing you to compone, you know, make, uh, creating components. And rather than doing, you know, transaction script type code, you're actually using like these decorators and these, and these classes that essentially add or, you know, kind of fall into this single responsibility principle and do one thing. And what happens is when you're looking at a piece of code now, it's only doing one thing and it's clear to you exactly what it's doing. And, 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 and you're not seeing all this noise, as I would call it, all this noise where you're creating various objects because they have a role in the, in the call, or you're adding, you know, see all these cross-cutting concerns like security and caching and stuff that, you, that it's hard to see the actual, what this actual component does because there's all these cross-cutting concerns and, and uh, object construction stuff around it. So you actually, literally, it, you actually see the code. And what James was saying about ReSharper, that even, you know, tools like that, they become kind of necessary because you're starting to now put these, uh, have all these different components, they have the single responsibility, and it makes navigation to each one of these a lot easier. So a component like that, um, you know, I know Developer Express has a component, you know, uh, tools that there's a lot of them out there that do this kind of things, but they become kind of important. So you see these talks, you know, when you start talking about dependency injection, you start, and then of course TDD, and you start talking about various presentation models and, and these various tools, they all kind of go hand in hand because they all kind of help each other. I'm just wondering which one facilitates the other, that if you're agile, you'll want to use this, but is this something that would drive you towards that agile approach to development? Well, I think for years, like Object Builder was out there for years that did just generic uh, object construction and software right. configuration, so that was a need. And I, I, I'm guessing a lot of those, because TDD is, in terms of in the community, it's, I still want to say it's fairly new, those people probably weren't doing TDD and things like that. These people were just interested in loosely coupling their application so that they could, you know, uh, essentially replace, you know, uh, if, for example, they need to change the log, the, the way they log, they could do that easily. If they needed, if they were changing their database so that in one case they were using Oracle, in another case they were using SQL Server, they could do that. So this general software configuration, this provider model, um, this being able to loosely couple your application but, but still keeping them highly cohesive has been around for a long time. And dependency injection has been around for a long time. I mean, I'm fairly new to it. A lot of people are fairly new to it in the .NET community, but this has been around a long time, probably before test-driven development and things like that. Interesting. Uh, David, we're running down on time here. Maybe we should point at some resources for folks who want to get into Unity and, and really get their head around this. 
Yeah, I mean, I think obviously, uh, like I said, you know, you can get Unity a couple of ways. If you're if you're a big enterprise library user and you may have already uh, downloaded Enterprise Library 4.0, it comes with Unity, so you already have it. Um, if you're not into Enterprise Library, but you're you know you're interested in dependency injection, you know, inversion of control, you can go to uh, the Unity Codeplex site and you can download Unity separate there without having to even think or worry about Enterprise Library. And when you actually download it, you get the source code, you get the runtime libraries, you get some really good documentation, and you get um, some samples. Uh, if, if, if you want more than that, I mean, I'm I, I kind of mentioning my own site here, but I, I run a site called pnpguidance.net where I think I have about eight or nine screencasts on Unity, and I probably have just as many, um, at least as many tutorials as that. As you're gonna, uh, so, I mean, you can go to PMP Guidance, watch a screencast. I'll look at some of the tutorials. I also have screencasts on the combination of using Enterprise Library and Unity together, so if you want to see that combination. So, I mean, those are the two big resources I can, I can kind of think of at this point. But, you know, Unity is still new. A lot, you can, you know, obviously search the blogs. A lot of people have a lot of tutorials out there. So those would be the two big ones. Awesome. Excellent. David, thank you very much for uh, talking to us about Unity. And it's always good to sort of refresh the whole IOC dependency injection thing, too. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. All right. And we'll see you next time on Zapper. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.